I invite you to open your Bibles with me. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. I'm going to read from there to the end of the chapter, verse 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Do not be surprised. Do not be surprised. The Apostle Peter wants his readers to not be shocked or astonished or taken aback. He doesn't want them to go, whoa, what was that? Where did that come from? He does not want them to be surprised at the unjust suffering that they are currently experiencing and could continue to expect in Asia Minor. Do not be surprised, he says. Peter doesn't want them to be floored or confused or flabbergasted that things have gotten tough in following Jesus Christ. Now, he's really been saying this all along, hasn't he, ever since chapter 1? Peter's been helping them to get ready for persecution and telling them how to live under whatever persecution they're already facing and encouraging them to keep on doing good even when they get accused of doing bad. Like our memory verse, right? You nailed it this morning. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Now notice in our verse 12 of this morning of chapter 4 that Peter addresses them the exact same way he did in our memory verse in 2.11. Dear friends, the Greek there for dear friends is agape toy, agape toy, loved ones. You hear the word agape, love in there? Loved ones. Beloved, we sometimes say in Old English, beloved. Peter has some hard things for his readers to receive in this paragraph, but he's saying them all in love. Out of his great love for them, dear friends, beloved, agape toy, do not be surprised. 
In the previous paragraph that we studied last week, Peter reminded them that time was short, that the end of all things is near, and so we should keep calm and pray and show love for each other and practice hospitality and serve each other with whatever gifts we've been given so that Jesus Christ gets all the glory, like we've just been singing. And then Peter couldn't help but singing, sing himself. I think he, he's singing as he, he writes 1 Peter 4:11. to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. But Peter wasn't done with verse 11. He could have ended it at verse 11. Peter has more to say. He comes down off of that doxology and returns to what he's been trying to get across for the last four chapters and really drives it home. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Beloved, do not be perplexed. Do not be dumbfounded. Do not be absolutely shocked that you are suffering a painful trial. And he's not just talking about just any suffering, COVID or cancer or an accident. He's talking about unjust suffering. Suffering for the name of Christ. Do not be surprised. The word there for painful trial in verse 12 could be translated fiery. Purosis, a fiery ordeal, a painful test, a burning. Peter says that this kind of suffering is not strange. It's normal. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not happy about that. That is not how I would want it. I do not like suffering. I'll bet you don't either. And the foreigners and the exiles in Asia Minor, they didn't like it one bit either. Peter didn't like it. One time, Jesus told Peter that he was going to suffer like this. And Peter rebuked Jesus for saying it. Yep, you heard me right, Trey. You heard me right. Peter, the apostle Peter, rebuked Jesus. Not smart, right? Peter rebuking Jesus. Jesus. How did Jesus answer back? He said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Well, Peter got that message. And now he's telling the things of God to the beloved people of God. Unjust suffering is normal. Do not be surprised. And yet, we still often are, right? When that unjust suffering comes, we're like, what? What's that? What did I do to deserve this? How long is this going to last? I don't understand. Even though our own Lord told us to expect it, in this world you will have trouble. Now, I think there's one good reason for that or for our surprise, is that we know in our hearts the way things ought to be. We have vestiges of Eden in our hearts. And we have longings for the kingdom that's on the way. We know that unjust suffering is unright. We feel it in our bones. This isn't right. This isn't right. And we're right. It's not right. But it's here. 
During this present age, unjust suffering is not actually strange. It's normal for disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the reasons why so many of us Americans are surprised when it happens to us is that Christians, at least white Christians, have enjoyed an exceptionally favored status in the short history of the United States. Some Christians played a role in the founding of our nation, and some Christian concepts and ideals provided a few of its original foundations. And for a long while, white Christians benefited from a privileged status. But that's actually unusual in the history of the world. And over time, it almost always comes unraveled. It's not what we should expect. In fact, most of the time, we should expect the exact opposite. Do not be surprised, the Bible says, at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Peter says, don't expect a Christian nation. Expect persecution, Christian. We are strangers here, so suffering shouldn't be strange to us. Are you ready to suffer because you are a follower of Jesus Christ? I remember once at Moody Bible Institute, there was a special presentation about John and Betty Stam, who were missionaries in China, who were martyred for their faith. And after the presentation, they had all of us close our eyes, and they asked, if you are ready to die for Jesus Christ, to stand. And you were supposed to have your eyes closed and not know if the other people were standing, but I was holding hands with Heather Joy, <laughs> so I knew when she stood. And she knew when I didn't. Ah, maybe that's where I was then. Maybe. Are you ready to suffer because you are a follower of Jesus Christ? In the next seven verses, Peter tells us how we should respond when we experience this kind of unjust suffering. And what he says might surprise you. We shouldn't be surprised when we experience unjust suffering. He's told us to be ready for that. But we should respond in perhaps surprising ways. I see at least three in this passage. Here's number one. Rejoice. Rejoice. Do not be surprised, but instead rejoice. Look with me at verse 13. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Rejoice. That's surprising, isn't it? I mean, you, you, it shouldn't be. Our Lord Jesus taught us this in his Sermon on the Mount. Peter is just echoing the teaching of his master that he received then, but it's still shocking, I think, to read because it's so counterintuitive. Don't be surprised that you are hurting. Instead, rejoice that you're hurting. <laughs> now, of course, Peter doesn't baldly say, rejoice that you're hurting. As if, okay, yeah, hurt me so bad, I love it, woo! No, we are not masochists. But what does he say? He says, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Participate. 
The Greek word for participate is koinoneta. Sound familiar? What word does that remind you of? Koinonia, yeah. Fellowship. Yesterday, I read my sermon on this passage from 20 years ago, and I said it this way then. So yes, I'm taking notes on myself here. Suffering for Christ is suffering with Christ. So rejoice in it. Suffering for Christ is suffering with Christ. You're participating with the sufferings of Christ. It's fellowship. So when they hurt you, Christ is with you. Just like when they hurt Him, you were with Him, in Him. Suffering for Christ is suffering with Christ, and that is so worth rejoicing in. I don't know about you, but I would rather be suffering with Christ, in Christ, than having a pain-free existence outside of Christ. Amen? So Peter says, don't just endure this suffering. He's not like, just, just bear it. He says, rejoice. And not just now, but forever. Did you catch that in verse 13? Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. We live now in light of then. Think about Paul and Silas in prison. Acts chapter 16. Don't you love that story? They're in prison. It's nighttime. And what are they doing? Singing. That's right. What do they have to sing about? They have everything to sing about. They're in prison because of Jesus. And he's there, right there with them. Of course they sang. We live right now in light of then. Rejoice now for greater rejoicing then. Because remember, Jesus didn't just suffer and die. He was raised to life and vindicated. And now he's reigning in glory. And when Jesus Christ is revealed, we will be vindicated and share in his glory. So we have everything to sing about now. We've been learning this all along in 1 Peter. He saw it in chapter 1. Remember when Peter said, In this inheritance you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kind of trials. These trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, fiery trial, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So when Jesus Christ comes back, we who have rejoiced to suffer with him now will be overjoyed then. We'll be over the moon. <laughs> Which gives us all the more reason to rejoice now. Amen? How are you doing at that? Anybody here taking some flack for following Christ? Are you following Christ? If we aren't taking any flack, maybe we're doing it wrong. Now, don't go looking for it, but be ready for it. And be ready when it comes to rejoice. Look at verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, 
you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Wow. I, 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 I do not want to suffer. I do not relish the idea of persecution, but I sure love that word blessed. I want that. And I want the spirit of glory and of God to rest on me. Yes, I do. The same spirit that rested on Jesus. Think about his baptism. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. You could see it. The people there could see the spirit coming and lighting on Jesus. That same spirit rests on us when we experience persecution. Now, when we experience persecution, it might feel like the opposite, like the Spirit has left the building, right? The Spirit has left the building. Here I am all alone. If you go into your public school and live as a Christian, you might feel alone. You go into your secular workplace and live as a Christian, you might feel all by yourself. You visit your unbelieving family and live as a follower of Jesus, you might feel abandoned by the Spirit. But that's not what's true. What's really true is you are the very opposite of alone. You are with and in Christ, and the Spirit of glory and of God is resting on you. Jeff, when you go to work tomorrow, the Spirit of glory and of God is resting on you. Trey, when you go to school tomorrow, he's like, twice in one sermon? Come on, Pastor Matt. When you go to school tomorrow and you live as a Christian, the spirit of glory and of God is resting on you. Eric, when you go to work this week and you live as a Christian, the spirit of glory and of God is resting on you, especially if you get made fun of for being a Christian. Not even if, especially if you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ. goes for all of us. If you belong to Jesus Christ and you go out into the world and you live as a Christian and you get that flack, the Spirit of glory and of God is resting on you. If you are insulted, anybody want to be insulted? No. Especially if you're not allowed to fire back with an insult back, right? Which we're not. That's not what we're called to. Bless them back, right? Bless them back. The spirit of glory and of God is resting on you. Now, now I almost want to be insulted for the name of Christ just to have another reason to rejoice. Do not be surprised, but instead rejoice. And number two, represent that's number two, if you're taking notes today. Number one is rejoice. Number two is represent. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering, but instead faithfully represent Jesus Christ to the watching world. Those words in verse 14, because of the name of Christ, are super important. We aren't supposed to rejoice just because we're in pain. We're not masochists. But we're supposed to rejoice because we wear His name. Now, that's the point of verses 15 and 16. Look with me at that. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief 
or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Do you see his logic? Peter says that if we suffer, it should not be because we deserve it. It is not a blessing to suffer the consequences of your own sin. Whether it's extreme criminal stuff like murder or robbery or or something, a garden variety like being a busybody or some other kind of meddlesome troublemaker, it's not persecution if you deserve it. That's poorly representing Jesus. And sometimes we will be accused of all those things even if we haven't done them right? Even though they accuse you of doing wrong. Peter says, don't be accused of doing them because you've done them. That's not where the blessing lies. The blessing lies, the blessing in suffering, the blessing is suffering when you don't deserve it. When all you've, all you're doing is good in the name of Christ. He says, when that happens, don't be ashamed, verse 16, but praise God that you bear that name. Praise God that you bear that name, represent. Bear that name. Fill your mouth with that name. And don't be ashamed. You know, it's easy to feel shame when you're being persecuted. That's the whole point of persecution, right? To beat you into submission. The whole point is to make you feel ashamed of who you are and what you've been doing. They were heaping shame on Jesus at the cross, weren't they? Come down for the cross. Save yourself. He said he was the king of the Jews. They spit on him. They mocked him. They put a crown on him, but a crown of thorns. They stripped him down. They did everything to make him feel shame. And was he ashamed? No, he was unashamed. He scorned the shame. And he went through it for us. You know, there are only three places in the Bible that use this word Christian. Like there in verse 16. In the Bible, you and I, who are Christians, go by a lot of other names. Disciple. Believers brothers and sisters, and so on. There's only three places where the word Christian is used, and interestingly, at least in one of them, it's used as a negative, a word that's hurled at us. Christian. You think you're a little Christ. You think you're part of that Christ thing. You Christians, bear the name. Bear the name. For a long time, it hasn't been a dirty word in our society, but increasingly it is. Bear the name. Bear the name. I think it's likely that we're going to see more and more hostility towards Christians in this country. Now, of course, as I said last week, I am not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, and I work for a nonprofit organization, like Walt Kaiser used to say. But genuine biblical prophets have told us to expect persecution because we bear the name of Christ. So I think it likely that more of that is on the way. Right now, in our neighbor to the north in Canada, there is a new law 
that criminalizes certain practices that aim to challenge a person's homosexuality or aid a person with gender dysphoria to live in alignment with their biological sex. Now, it's possible that this law is only aimed at coercive treatments called reparative therapy. And I think that reparative therapy is an ineffective and unhelpful way to go. But the law is sufficiently vague and potentially ominous enough that many pastors in Canada are concerned that it may end up criminalizing all Christian teaching and counseling on sexual ethics, making it illegal to teach that God created human beings uniquely in His image as male and female, and He has designed marriage to be a covenantal relationship between one man and one woman. Our Lord Jesus taught us that, and we must be faithful to continue to teach it to our children and to the Lord's church, no matter what the world says. Now, hopefully it's not as bad in Canada as, some, as it might seem to some. And thankfully, it hasn't even reached that point here in the U.S. as of yet. But there's no reason to believe that it won't. And in other parts of the world, it is simply illegal to teach any Christian doctrine, not just on Christian sexual ethics, but including the basic gospel of Jesus Christ. And right now in our nation, even if we have all kinds of legal freedom of speech and legal freedom of religion, which we have lots of, we still have hostile neighbors. There are lots of ways to suffer as a Christian, and not just at the hands of the government. But Peter says to not be surprised and to not be ashamed, but to praise God that you bear that name. Represent Him well. By the way, that includes how we teach about Christian sexual ethics. We better not be getting into trouble over sexuality and gender because we've been rude or impatient or unkind or envious or boastful or proud or self-seeking or easily angered. We better not deserve it. We better not be getting into trouble over sexuality and gender because of a cold-hearted failure to love but only because we're full of love for God and full of love for our sexually struggling friends, neighbors, and loved ones, sometimes telling them things they don't want to hear. Represent Him well. Represent Him well. And then if you get into trouble, rejoice. Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. In verse 17, Peter says, judgment is coming and has already started. Look at verse 17. Praise God that you bear that name, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, I get tripped up over these verses because I always think that judgment is a bad thing. I tend to use that word judgment as a bad thing. I equate judgment with condemnation, which is one outcome of judgment. 
But Peter knows that God's judgment is perfect. Remember just a few verses ago, he says, the Lord is ready to judge the living and the dead. I think he's saying that these trials reveal how real we are. Just like he said in chapter 1, verse 7. These trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, see there's judgment, and it says, gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine, judged genuine, judged to be real. There's gold here and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So here's what I think he's saying. Mysteriously, as the world comes in and brings their fiery persecutions, God is using them to both purify us and confirm that our faith is real. Judgment begins with the house of God. Now it's painful. Fire burns. So painful that we say, ah, it's hard for the righteous to be saved. This hurts. But when we respond by faith, it shows that we're real and that we really love Jesus. And that we really are done with sin and really living for the Lord. And of course, it also shows the opposite as well. That's what Peter means when he says, what will the outcome of this judgment be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And paraphrasing Proverbs eleven thirty one, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What's the answer to that? Eternal fire. That's what. Justice is coming, and all will be revealed. So here's how we should live. Number three, recommit. Recommit. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering, but instead rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering, but instead represent well the name of Christ. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, but instead recommit yourself to your Creator and recommit yourself to doing good. Look at the last verse, verse 19. So then... Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. There he goes again, <laughs> right? He's a broken record. Continue to do good, continue to do good, continue to do good. How many times have we said that? Agathopoyuntas. The Greek here is agathopoioia. Continue to do good, continue to do good. Continue to do good. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. You're doing goods. And glorify God on the day He visits us. Continue to do good even when you suffer for it. Especially when you suffer for it. It's not easy. If it were easy, Peter wouldn't have written this letter for us. We wouldn't need 1 Peter if it was easy. We'd just do it. But it's what we're called to do. Continue to do good. How do you do that? How do you keep on doing good day after day when they're coming at you? The only way that we do it is to entrust, is to trust that God knows what He is doing. Sure doesn't seem like it sometimes. Because I wouldn't do it this way. I mean, this verse says again that it is sometimes God's will that we should suffer this kind of persecution. 
Now, he doesn't say to our persecutors, hey, go hurt my child. No, he does not. In fact, he actually says the opposite to them. His revealed will to them is do not harm my child or you will pay for it. But mysteriously, that harmful pain is still in his plan for us as his children. I don't know how it works. I just know it does. And so we have to believe that he is sovereign and that he knows what he's doing. He made us and he is faithful. He is our faithful creator. and We can trust him. We can put ourselves in his hands, just like Jesus said when they were doing this to him, into your hands I commit my spirit and continue to do good. Beloved, beloved, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering or are about to suffer. It's not strange. It's normal. It is to be expected. You heard it here. But instead of being surprised, be thankful. Rejoice that you are in Christ and His Spirit rests on you. Represent Him well. Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear His name. And recommit yourself to trusting yourself to Him because you know that He knows what He's doing. And continue to do good.